Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Kantar and Side Business School, University of Oxford. In each episode, we speak with marketing leaders and share insights to help brands and business leaders navigate the ever-changing marketing landscape and hopefully dispel some myths and misconceptions along the way. Hi, I'm Jane Osler, EVP. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Give global thought leadership at Kantar. So our guest today is Leslie Salem, who is founder of Over the Bloody Moon. And um, first of all, Leslie, tell us about what Over the Bloody Moon is and, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, absolutely. Thank you, Jane, for having me on the show today. So uh, Over the Bloody Moon is a collective of menopause specialists that uh, go into organisations and provide support for managers and all employees uh, around menopause. So to educate and to provide training and also learning resources. Um, so we're on a mission to remove the model from menopause and particularly in the workplace, remove the taboo and stigma that is you know, very much still, unfortunately, around and uh, tell us a bit about yourself. What's what's your background, Leslie? Why did how did you arrive where you are today? Uh, so my my background actually is is branding and innovation and market research. So um, uh, familiar to to Cantor. Um, I about four years ago, um, uh, I really wasn't feeling myself. And uh, unfortunately, it, 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 it sort of, you know, these were all classic perimenopausal symptoms that were undiagnosed. And I was completely unprepared for, uh, for menopause. And as a result of that, I, I left my work. And, and it was really that sort of whole experience that led me uh, to feel very passionate about making sure that other people don't feel that they need to leave the workplace and can continue to thrive. Because actually... Had I have known what was going on, uh, there were many different sort of, you know, options and my interventions would have been a lot, um, you know, sooner. 
Um, so that really was was the inspiration for for Over the Bloody Moon. But I, as a result of that, I retrained. I became a certified health coach specialising in menopause. And I also am a podcast hostess of my own show, uh, The Changemakers. So I've had the privilege over the last few years of talking to many different global experts and authors around menopause. So that in itself has you know educated me on the topic. So thank you. So apparently there are around 13 million perimenopausal or menopausal women in the UK, which is about a third of the entire UK female population. Now, I suppose with an ageing population, which we have in many markets, including many European markets as well. Um, so is this is this an increasing issue? Do you see that as, as part of your mission? And there are more people who are potentially um, in need of your support and help. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, globally, if you look at globally, the the stats, it's around a billion people will be going through menopause or impacted uh, by 2025. So, you know, for brands and in terms of menopause support in the workplace, there's, you know, a hugely underserved uh, need there. So, you know, absolutely, it's a trend that is, uh, well, it's a meta trend. And uh, there's a lot of work still that, that needs to be done. Uh, to educate people and to make sure that they have early you know intervention and support and why is this I and I use this word advisedly why is this such a hot topic now why why wasn't this happening five years ago or eight years ago there are lots of women who are now out the other side of the menopause who probably could have done with this help many years ago so why why is this all happening now do you think yeah, it's a really interesting question, Jane. Um, I think societally, we are a quite different place to previous generations. So as you've just said, you know, never before have we had uh, a workforce that is, uh, you know, represented with quite the numbers in terms of uh, people that are going through menopause uh, or will at some point, you know, um, in their life. Uh, we economically are needing to work uh, later into our careers um, and particularly with the economic climate. You know, more people, some people that are having to return to work as well to support, uh, you know, their family. So, um, uh, but I think, you know, what's different is, you know, I often hear, we run a community, by the way, on Facebook and Instagram. And so we hear people's stories all the time. And one of the most common things that I hear is, you know, my mum said that she sailed through it and she's always, you know, saying, I don't understand what the big deal is. But I think the pressure that Gen uh, X's and people that are going through menopause is is very different to what potentially our mothers went through. So people, if they are having families, are starting to have those much later on, which means that they might be going through the early stages of, you know, perimenopause with young toddlers uh, or babies um, or <laughs> even worse, teenagers you know the clashing of hormones uh so uh so you know you've you've got family that you're looking after potentially uh, you've got elderly parents who are living longer with all the age uh you know associated diseases so they require more um care and then you've got work on top of that so it's it's a real pressure point alongside the fact of for people that might be going through some changes and they're not joining the dots. They're suddenly thinking, "I hang on, I need to really, this is the time when I need to be operating at my absolute optimum and I'm not able to and I don't understand why. So this is kind of, you know, the, the, the main 
changes, I believe. And then just also the other thing in the UK, because we're really leading in this uh, in terms of advocacy. Uh, I think, you know, it's been the culmination of individual voices coming together and it's come from lots of different spheres. So we've got politicians, we've got celebrities, we've got advocates, we've got people like me uh, and everybody, you know, is sharing their story. Um, and that's really, really powerful. So that that's good. So you're capturing a, a a zeitgeist, which I think is obviously just going to going to continue. And with uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, I think was some uh, research that we did with you um, at Over the Bloody Moon, um, talking about actually understanding women who are sort of transitioning through this and identify what the opportunities are for brands. Now, in the research, it, it found that there's an average of six symptoms that any one uh, woman might uh, might experience. So w- what are they? What are the symptoms? I mean, obviously, we've heard of hot flushes and, you know, maybe sleepless nights. But what, what are the key ones? That- yeah, just, just on language, I do try and use the words like the phrase pos- possible impacts, because I do think symptoms, you know, medicalizes it. But you're absolutely right. We did end up in the research using that term because it's something that people understand. But um, the the number one most uh, uh, the, the number one aspect that most impacts on people is disrupted sleep. And not surprisingly, because if you don't sleep, uh, you feel rubbish the next day. And that, you know, long term can have an impact on your your mental health, as well as triggering physical um, changes as well. Um, the second and the third were hot flushes and night sweats, which most people sort of, you know, are, are aware of. But what was really interesting was not so far behind were the emotion, you know, the emotional side of uh, mood swings um, and anxiety and stress, followed by brain fog and, and, and memory uh, recall. So, uh, but of course, there's no one size fits all. It's different for everybody. There are uh, 48 associated possible, you know, impacts for people going through menopause that are, are recognised. And we know that because menopause is a transition, things come and go. So it's it's very dynamic. And I think it's, it is important for brands not to just kind of, you know, latch on to anyone unless they have been very specific and creating uh, things, you know, uh, that, that are, you know, designed to provide specific solutions. So it, it, it's capturing the diversity of experience that's really important as well. So there's a whole host of uh, possible impacts, as you say, but presumably there's also quite a lot of myths and misconceptions or assumptions that people have about um, menopause. Are there some of those that you'd like to to bust today? Yeah, I mean, well, firstly, people aren't always aware that there's stages. So, you know, many people haven't heard of that term perimenopause, which is uh, can be on average for those going through it naturally around seven years where hormones are starting to drop and fluctuate. Um, the medical definition of menopause is just one day, 365 days after a person's last period. But of course, it is a transition um, and holding somebody's hand throughout that is, is really important. Um, other myths are that it is just, you know, hot flushes or your periods stop. So we know actually in perimenopause, the stage before menopause, it is the emotional side and the cognitive impact that is most significant for people. Um, and uh, and I think also uh, we often hear, don't we, Jane, of oh, women of a certain age. But 
I, I hate that phrase because it can happen. Menopause can happen at any time after a person's first period. So the youngest person in the UK is just 14. Um, and particularly, what you know, we, we extended our research to capture that diversity of experience. So we, we went down as young as, as the age of 30 and up to the age of 65 in this research. And, and what we found uh, was the people that were going through surgical menopause or medically induced menopause have a much more severe experience. So understanding the nuances and the diversity of menopause experience is important. Um, and I mean, our research interviewed women, but when we do our, our um, when we do our presentations and our training, we uh, really emphasise the importance as well of thinking about non-binary people and uh, trans men. Anyone that is born with female sex characteristics, uh, you know, will be impacted in menopause in their own way. And our research found also that. Um, you know, people that are going through early menopause experience uh, issues sometimes with friendships in terms of, you know, they don't have that affinity and that peer group that are going through the same thing for them. Uh, whereas uh, people that are going through it um, uh, surgically often felt they didn't have the support of the healthcare professionals who were very focused on their primary condition. And then people going through it naturally uh, were the ones that were had the biggest impact in terms of, uh, you know, sex life and um, uh, and relationships with it, that they were, you know, personal relationships. So everybody is different. And I think we have to get out of this, you know, homogenization um, when it comes to communication and innovation. So let's then move on to talking about what, what brands can do or what they are or aren't doing. I mean, the study that we worked on, as you know, redefining the menopause showed that um, I think two thirds of women who were experiencing the menopause or perimenopause feel that brands aren't doing enough to support them. And um, just over three quarters don't feel represented at all um, by brands advertising and marketing. So what, what can brands do? Do they have a role to play? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, they have a role to play because, you know, the research found that, uh, you know, people were crying out for solutions. Um, and, you know, whilst there is, you know, HRT and, and some general, you know, natural remedies uh, to make people feel empowered, they want to have, you know, a broad set of tools to dip into. And that's, you know, very much gives a strong role for brands and products and services. Um, so uh, so I think, you know, it's um, in terms of uh, the opportunity for brands, it's really to um, to be a uh, trusted, you know, a trusted source of support um, and, and also from a messaging or t tonality perspective also to um, to be a friend and, and and we're seeing that with uh, you know some of the new brands that are entering into the space that the, um, the brands that are doing really well in this space firstly show that menopause uh, even even though they show a realistic side to menopause the ups and the downs um, and the unexpectedness uh, they are overridingly really optimistic and positive in their communication and I think that's really important for people that are going through menopause they want to have hope and uh, to hear stories of people maybe that have had challenges and gone through the other side and are now thriving 
Um, and I think, you know, the, the other aspect in terms of communication is to demonstrate support. And so brands that uh, show sort of like tribes and sisterhood and community such as Empowder, um, you know, do really well. And I think uh, in terms of people in the ads, it's really important to make sure that they're relatable, that they represent all cultures and heritages, uh, people with, uh, you know, uh, with disabilities as well as able people and uh, different ages, as we've mentioned already, that, you know, diversity of experiences is really important. So uh, and then in terms of endorsement, I think, you know, people are looking for expertise. Uh, they want to see clinical trials and science that are, you know, underpinned the product claims. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, the, the people that endorse that or the way that's endorsed should feel quite down to earth and, and, and lifestyle based um, rather than too medical. So I think there's lots of you know, good ways in which brands can connect uh, with this audience. Actually, it's interesting what you say about, you know, giving giving people sort of hope and, and optimism and sort of encouraging messages. Actually, we find that is common across many different areas of advertising or topics. So, um, for example, we know that um, sustainability, um, um, encouraging people's behaviour change and sustainability is uh, achieves better results if you approach it in a more hopeful and positive and optimistic way. And the other thing is, um, you know, let's not forget humour as well. Um, humour is one of the most powerful vehicles um, for advertising. And, you know, it's proven to have a stronger return on investment and better brand impact. Um, and so I think there are a lot of opportunities there, I guess, for brands who want to maybe de-risk that process, the sensible thing is possibly for them to make sure they do their creative testing, and do some research to make sure they've they've got the tone right. But there are examples, you know, sort of healthcare and beauty brands like Pantene and Always Discreet who are, you know, playing their part. I've also noticed um, a couple of brands uh, fairly recently using... Um, one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Women sort of swimming in rivers and in open air swimming pools and that kind of thing, which might be a bit of a trope, but it's, you know, it's a good one. Um, so I think there's lots of ways that brands can can respond. Um, coming back to the point you made about um, negative impacts on feelings and mood, I think 67% reported reported that, which is very high. 
Um, do you think brands have a role to play in that? Do you think it's a brand's job to help women's self-confidence and make them feel good? Is that part of what they should do? Absolutely. Listen, we buy products and brands, don't we? We they kind of because they they fill the gaps that we need, um, and and we know that that is you know a major aspect. We hear from our community women using language like you know I feel invisible, I um, I no longer recognise myself, I just want to feel normal, um, and so anything that brands can do to uh you know br- bring that back to people is, is really important i think one of the things that i was surprised about we we looked with um this piece of research in the workplace and 33% of people um fat highlighted that the number one aspect that most bothered them in the workplace was their appearance change in weight skin hair um and I was like, wow, do people really care? But maybe that's because I'm not very into grooming myself. Um, but, you know, appearance does have a really important sort of aspect. And that is, for some people, it is part of that grieving process of, you know, physically looking at, at the changes and finding that quite hard to reconcile. But I think, again, just going back to brand sort of tonality, you know, rather than use words like anti-aging, it's pro-aging. So, you know, never before has this generation, you know, particularly for this generation, you know, we are going to be living much longer going through menopause and also post-menopausally. So a hundred years ago, uh, uh, people only lived post-menopausal for nine years and now the average is 32 years. So um, I want to talk about uh, what Over the Bloody Moon is doing in the corporate space. Um, I have obviously seen coverage recently of the uh, anti-terror chief at the Met Police wearing a, a meno vest. Um, has that caused some controversy for you? Well, it, it definitely created a uh, debate. And I, I actually, I feel really, um, I, was, I was quite upset about the Met Police because I, you know, this was part of uh, a two-day event that we ran with them and they are doing the most amazing things for inclusion and diversity so I I was you know I was disappointed that Matt Dukes uh, got uh, you know um, uh, that it was called woke you know I mean anything that is supporting people and addressing inequality in the workplace should never be associated with uh, woke so the Menno vest was designed because, you know, we've been in the workplace, corporate workplace, running workshops and training for the last few years. And I just felt that still men weren't that engaged uh, when we run workshops and we ask for people to come forward and volunteer for training. It's very much like, you know, the people that were going through menopause or were about to or maybe just come through the other side. Um, and still very underrepresented in terms of like that intersectional uh, sense of allyship. So the Menno Vest is designed specifically to get men involved in the conversation. And we've been absolutely blown away globally by, uh, you know, the response of, of companies who have got CEOs and different senior leaders to to wear it. Um, and I know, you know, some of the controversy and, and, and is going to be, well, you know, perimenopause lasts for seven years or people can go through their transition for decades. Is it fair? 
fair that someone wears it, you know, for an hour. But the point is, is that when you wear the Mano vest, um, uh, it's not just hot flushes. People within, uh, you know, sort of five minutes understand the impact that it has on confidence, anxiety. They report headaches, dizziness, nausea, um, brain fog, distraction, discomfort, all those things that our research showed, you know, that all these different aspects are interconnected, the physical, the cognitive and the psychological. And, and quite frankly, if that lands the point and creates change and suddenly people are talking about it more, um, you know, with their colleagues investing more in menopause, then I'm very happy with that. Yeah, well, it's certainly got some uh, publicity, which is, you know, I think in, in many ways, that's that's a really positive um, awareness raising um, force. And so... Tell us about um, in the corporate space, one of the concepts you have is a, a menopause ally. What, what does a menopause ally do in a work context? When we talk about uh, menopause allyship, it, it can be for any you know, community. But within menopause, uh, what, uh, when we talk about menopause allyship, we, we have coins like the A to E of menopause allyship. So these are really traits or behaviours that people can show that they're pro-menopause and help colleagues that are impacted by menopause to feel safe and protected. So, you know, A is for active listening. Um, when somebody first shares what's going on for them, you know, that's a, a, a pretty big deal. Uh, there's a lot of emotion and fear and maybe embarrassment and shame around that. And, and one of the most powerful things that people can do is just to really be in the present and to listen. And, and that doesn't mean coming up with solutions or trying to fix things, but just to let that person be heard. And then right at the end, just sort of summarize how, you know, play back to them uh, the emotional side rather than, you know, the detail and, and asking them how, you know, how can, how can they help? Um, B is for being non-judgmental. So we can often listen to people and think, well, why haven't they done this or that? So if we suspend that again, that just helps and understand, you know, culturally people are coming at this, um, you know, in a very unique way. And so, uh, you know, again, just giving that that space and recognition uh, that people should be able to manage their menopause in different ways is important. C is for championing. So that is about giving um you know sharing your own stories and sharing information and and positive narrative that you're picking up maybe on LinkedIn or news articles around menopause uh, that make uh, normalize the conversation and the experience for people so the more people hear about it and and feel that they are being championed the more they'll open up and and share their stories and then D is for being dependable so particularly for managers um you know, listening to somebody, hit, discussing with them what adjustments could be made in the workplace, uh, perhaps putting in a risk assessment for that individual uh, and uh, an action plan um, and to keep reviewing that because, as we said, menopause is dynamic and, and will change. So to make sure that one follows up on the actions one has promised and any is empathy and that is about really cultivating a mindset of curiosity and interest in what that person might be going through you know challenging any biases and and sort of you know putting uh, one yourself in their shoes 
So if we look at the horizon, let's think about what needs to happen in the next few years about the menopause. How do you see the future of your organisation? Is it that you start to help more and more corporates um, have a policy uh, on menopause and how they how they deal with it? Are there any other sort of products and services that you'll be thinking of offering over the next few years? Yeah, so we have a pretty broad uh, range of, of services. So we have... Um, uh, we're about to launch an accreditation process where we have a, a menopause-friendly framework. And within that, there are, are different facets. So, you know, the first is about commitment, and that is from senior leaders in terms of strategy, action plans, and uh, general um, advocacy for, for menopause. Um, and then looking at processes and systems. So that is about policy, having risk assessment, Thinking about every aspect in which menopause should be recorded. So that might be around, you know, having a drop down menu for expenses or why people are leaving or taking absences. Um, then training is really critical. So, you know, we, we work um, with uh, HR and people managers uh, and, uh, you know, uh, anybody really within an organisation and uh, people don't have much time. So I think it's, you know, how do, how do you kind of help people quickly um, be able to kind of cultivate, ask those right questions and, and work and respond in the best practice. Um, and then also in terms of networking and culture, that's kind of something very much that companies need to own. So I think, you know, in terms of like the horizon and in many ways, I hope in five years I'll sort of be out of business in some ways because it will be so normalized um, and companies in the same way that they're looking at you know race as an agenda you know menopause will be another aspect of which policy training resources support you know all of that those aspects have been addressed and therefore the next generation of people going through menopause um you know, we'll, we'll just, it'll just be common practice. Um, and, and we'll also start to see, you know, it's not just within the workplace, there's a huge amount of change that needs to happen societally in terms of healthcare provision, uh, better healthcare provision, you know, more formal training for uh, doctors, uh, better intervention, more accessible interventions, more tailored you know, HRT, uh, that, that definitely, you know, so there's, there needs to be a lot more investment in women's health and research as well around the implications of taking HRT versus not taking HRT and what that means for uh, people's long-term health outcomes. Uh, so uh, so I think, you know, it, it's still five, 10 years, we're, we're, you know, there's, there's still going to be quite a big job to be done. You've been listening to Future Proof from Kantar and Side Business School. For all episodes and more information, visit kantar.com or oxfordfutureofmarketing.com. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode.